Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Last week in Hong Kong, the free press died. The newspaper Apple Daily published its final edition after the Chinese government froze its assets and the cops once again raided its offices, this time arresting its editor and its executives and an outspoken opinion writer. All face criminal charges. Its publisher, Jimmy Lai, faces a life sentence. His daily tabloid was brash and trashy and glorious. It scandalized local officials in Hong Kong and stuck it to Beijing every day. That's done. Beijing's reach does not just extend into Hong Kong media. It is active here in Canada. This past May, a parliamentary committee on Canada-China relations tabled a report from a group called Alliance Canada-Hong Kong. It documented a sophisticated influence operation by the People's Republic of China that is currently active in Canada. They are working to distort our media, influence our politicians, and to scrape intellectual property from our universities, according to this study. So, you know, you read that, and then you read the news last week about how the president of the Public Health Agency of Canada, Ian Stewart, refused 
to give information to Parliament about why two federal scientists were fired from a top security infectious disease laboratory in Winnipeg. Andrew Coyne wrote about that in the Globe and Mail. He wrote that there is no doubt that when Stewart defied Parliament's demands for information, he was acting with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's approval. And then I read in the National Post that one of those fired scientists, who we're not allowed to know anything about, Chiango Ki, well, intellectual property records that the Post found that have been registered in Beijing reveal that this scientist has previously collaborated with the Chinese government on unspecified inventions that are related to her Canadian virology job. She and her husband, Kidding Cheng, who is the other fired scientist who we're not allowed to know anything about, they went on repeated work trips to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which happens to be a level four disease lab, just like the one they worked at in Winnipeg. So look, I put all of that information together, and what I've been able to figure out is, (laughs) just kidding, there is no figuring this out. I am not going to figure this out, not based on the shreds of information that we have at this point. Look, what we know is that the most powerful elected leader in our country is keeping secrets from the public, probably because of his delicate relationship with arguably the most powerful country in the world, which itself is running a reported secret influence campaign that is active within our politics, our universities, and our media. So the only conspiracy theory that I'm able to confirm is that powerful people are conspiring. It's easy to get loopy with this stuff. Hunting for secret Chinese state influence within the Canadian media. That endeavor can sound paranoid at best and, you know, racist at worst. And yet... There is secret Chinese state influence within the Canadian media. We report on it when we can in bits and pieces. One little shred that we talked about five years ago concerned a Vancouver Chinese-language newspaper called Global Chinese Press. And what we reported on at the time is that they had fired their popular columnist after he criticized the leadership of the People's Republic of China. I'll be honest, I had mixed feelings about that story. I mean, just because colonist Gao Bingchen was fired after he went after the Chinese government, that doesn't mean that he was fired because he went against the Chinese government. And it certainly doesn't mean that he was fired by the Chinese government. I mean, it's not like this Vancouver newspaper is secretly owned by the Chinese government. Except that it turns out that that Vancouver newspaper was secretly owned by the Chinese government. Got a wild story for you today. Ian Young of the South China Morning Post, found the evidence buried within civil court filings in British Columbia. Turns out that in 2002, a significant Chinese-language newspaper in Canada was literally sold to CITIC, C-I-T-I-C, which is the corporate arm of the PRC, the People's Republic of China. Maybe you've never heard of CITIC, but you've probably heard of Microsoft, Apple, Walmart. Well, CITIC is bigger than all three of them combined. The global vision for CITIC Heavy Industries Company Limited is to become a world-famous modernized enterprise. It places development at the forefront and in so doing leads the market with this competitive edge. 
City Pacific key business interests include special steel production, mining, and property developments. City is a large and powerful trade and investment group for more than three decades. Expanding your shareholding in the McDonald's franchise. Uh, two and a half years ago, we had 2,500 stores. We have 3,300 now. And when Citic expanded into media, the official state press around that was all about plans for blockbuster movies and big-budget TV shows. Nobody knew, or perhaps cared, that it also included buying a Canadian newspaper for some reason. I mean, I care about that. It's sort of the thing that I'm paid to care about. But if my assumption was, okay, here it is, smoking gun evidence of the Chinese government's covert plan to control Canadian media, well, as Ian Young has reported, it's actually a bit more complicated than that. To understand just what the hell happened here, we need to tell you the story of Li Bolun, a Chinese media mogul who's been compared to Rupert Murdoch, who fell from grace, who was convicted of fraud, and who died in a prison cell after being arrested in a Beijing meth house. Ian Young joins me with the whole story in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sarah Bartlett, Jeff Dolegesi, Robin Schwartz, Eric Gerengas, Ewelina Chojica, Wes McGraw, Jeff Bedgood, and Devanshu. My name is Devanshu. I live in Toronto and work with data. I support Canada Land because Jesse said, if you like our show, help us make it. Not only does Canada Land inform me about the stories they cover directly, but the conversations on Canada Land and Thunder Bay also teach me to critically approach news that I consume from other sources. Ian, tell me a story. Let's start at the very beginning. Who was Lee Bolun? Lee Bolun was an amazing character, but you won't read about him much. And if you Google him, you won't find much about him either. Now, uh, Lee Bolun was the president of the entertainment arm of CITIC. And what CITIC is, is China's premier investment company. And by China, I mean the Chinese government. Now, this is a corporate behemoth. It has more than a trillion US dollars in assets. CITIC is a huge deal. And as the head of the entertainment arm of CITIC, Li Bolun was also a huge deal. He first shot onto the mainland Chinese spotlight back in 1996. Then he was a sporting and entertainment impresario. And what he did was he brought the soccer star Maradona and the Argentine super team Boca Juniors to China. At the time, this was the biggest sporting event in Chinese history, and that made a huge impact. And from there on, he was brought onto the board of CITIC. But yeah, I've found out some amazing things about Mr. Lee, uh, who met a very untimely demise in 2016. Uh, and that's all brought about and seen in uh, court documents here in Vancouver that relate to a battle over a Canadian newspaper. All right. Well, we're going to go through this. And I know that you have sorted through just a tremendous amount of evidence and court affidavits, and it's quite a tangled web to untangle. To just lay the foundation here, you said trillion with a T. I mean, as you write, Citic Group is worth more than Walmart, Apple, and Microsoft combined. It's a giant company. And when you say that Lee Balloon was 
the entertainment mogul running their entertainment and media arm, that's uh, understating it. Because in your piece, you write that he essentially pitched the idea of them even having a media and entertainment arm. This was sort of his endeavor. That's right. This is way back in 2000. He got in suite with Wang Jun. And Wang Jun was one of the most powerful figures in China at the time. He was the uh, chairman of CITIC and he was the chairman of Polygroup, which is the People's Liberation Army linked corporate entity. Uh, and, and CITIC Culture, which is this entertainment group, was born in 2001 because of that. He was a protege of Wang Jun. He was made a director of CITIC, and basically he was being touted as the most powerful man in Chinese entertainment. He was likened in Chinese state media to Sumner Redstone, to Rupert Murdoch, who was, he, he was an immensely powerful figure. Why would the Chinese equivalent of Rupert Murdoch or Sumner Redstone have anything to do with a Canadian-Chinese newspaper in Vancouver? Yeah, well, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, what I found out was there's this newspaper called Global Chinese Press. Global Chinese Press is quite a prominent publication in Chinese circles here. It's distributed for free, but it's seen in Chinese malls across the country. It's, and, and to that extent, uh, it's very well read and it's quite influential newspaper. And what happened was that very, very quietly, CITIC and Li Lun bought control of Global Chinese Press now, that's an amazingly controversial thing that the Communist Party's corporate entity bought a prominent newspaper here in Canada. And this has never before been reported. What happened next, though, was quite dramatic, is that subsequently these shares, which were actually, you know, printed in the name of CITIC, ended up in the hands of Lee Bolun himself. Lee Bolun was subsequently arrested and convicted of fraud in China, an apparently unrelated matter. He engaged in lengthy legal action in Canada to secure these shares. He immigrated on the back of this purchase of shares, but then he was arrested again in China in a meth house, apparently. And he died in prison a year later, uh, supposedly of some drug-related ailment. So it's really quite an amazing story. You know, I, I always love talking to you, Ian, because, you know, it's rare in my beat of Canadian media to get to talk about Beijing meth houses in a story about Canadian media. You know, global Chinese press is something that I was looking through our own archives, and we talked about them in a 2016 episode of Canada Land when we were looking into this idea of Beijing influence, of Chinese government influence on the Canadian press, on the Canadian Chinese press. And this is the sort of minor story about how a columnist, Gao Bingchen, was fired from his job at Global Chinese Press after expressing views that were critical of Beijing. And we were asking this question of, you know, is this paper somehow influenced by the Communist Party of China? And there were other incidents where editors or journalists there were reprimanded for straying from the party line. And then you report and actually produce photo evidence of this stunning document. Here is CITIC, which is essentially a corporate arm of the Chinese government, buying a controlling interest in a popular Canadian Chinese newspaper. And my mind goes directly towards this is a smoking gun evidence that the Chinese government is very directly trying to propagandize in Canada. But when I read all the details of your story, I actually began to doubt that premise. 
there are strong reasons to look a lot more closely at this purchase because Lee Boland lawyers and his widow, who has gone on to inherit these shares, have maintained all along that Lee Boland and now his widow are the legitimate owner of these shares. And it needs to be said very clearly that Canadian courts so far have repeatedly concluded that that is the case and that Lee Boland owned these shares and that his widow then went on to own these shares. But at the same time, the widow's lawyers have acknowledged that Lee Boland was acting on behalf of Citic when he originally entered this deal to purchase these shares. And Citic itself doesn't appear to want anything to do with this legal action. It is not laying claim to these <laughs> to these shares. It does not now want anything to do with this newspaper. And the lawsuits that have emerged are actually between Lee Boland's widow, who now controls global Chinese press, and the previous owners, the founder, who said she thought she was going into business with Citic. And it turns out, appears to have gone into business with Lee Bo Lun, unbeknownst to her, she says. So let's talk about what we know, and then maybe I'll talk a bit about what I think, and you'll tell me if I'm on the right track here or not. Uh, thanks to your reporting, what we know is that Citic buys this controlling interest in this Canadian Chinese newspaper for like $700,000. And Lee Bolun, in his other work as the entertainment mogul for Citic, is dealing with tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, major motion pictures, television shows. Nothing that I read leads me to believe that he was in the practice of buying news media, uh, let alone foreign news media. But suddenly, he is uh, overseeing a deal for Citic Media to buy a controlling interest in this Canadian newspaper, but then somehow he ends up being personally, not Citic Media, but he personally is the one who owns those shares, and his claim to Canadian residency is based on that entrepreneurial investment. Yes, that's exactly right. So that's what you report, and then as soon as he buys the thing, the pre-existing uh, owner says that he loses all interest in it. So if he was there to propagandize and sway hearts and minds in Canada, he wasn't doing a very good job of it because she was complaining that as soon as she sold it to him and she didn't think she was selling it to him, she thought she was selling it to the Chinese government, essentially. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Now, that's what we know. What that leads me to think is that he was not buying the newspaper on behalf of Cidic Media or for Chinese government propaganda purposes. He was buying this newspaper because he wanted to live in Canada. And the fact that he was later convicted of some form of fraud against Citic Media makes me wonder if he wasn't stealing money from his employer with a getaway plan of ultimately retiring in Canada. What do you think? Well, I think they're sort of reasonable conclusions, but the thing is that none of this has been resolved yet. There's still litigation pending in which the previous owners are suing to strip Lee Bolun's widow of her ownership of these shares on the premise that these shares should be reinstated, in their words, to Citic, and that Citic is the true owner. And Citic is saying, no thanks, we don't want it. Well, they haven't said anything. That's the thing. They haven't wanted to take part in this at all, and they simply did not return my calls. They're not interested in talking about it. And when we started poking around this story, a 4,000-word profile of Lee Bo Lun disappeared from the People's Daily website. This is a profile that had been up for 16 years, and it was vanished within days of us starting to ask about Mr. Lee Bo Lun. So that's another interesting media angle. I mean, the People's Daily, this is the main state news organ of the Chinese government, and they ran a major feature of Li Bolun when his star was ascendant. 
and then they just disappeared him after you started asking questions. I mean, he himself had been disappeared long before that because it was in 2016. Don't forget that he died in a Chinese prison. But I do want to add also, though, that Libo Lun's deputy at Cidic Culture at the time has provided an affidavit in which he says that it was, in fact, Cidic that made this purchase, that Libo Lun was not entitled to take these shares on, and that it was he, the deputy, who actually proposed that the purchase be made on behalf of Cidic. And as I said, the widow's lawyers have, in fact, conceded that initially, at least, he was negotiating on behalf of Citic. It's really quite complex about exactly where the truth lies, and it hasn't been fully ruled upon yet. But it is quite striking, this contrast between this prominent but relatively small outfit based here in Burnaby, you know, where he bought a half stake for $700,000 compared to the sheer scale of Citic Group, which, as I said, currently has assets of $1,200 billion US dollars. Did his deputy say why it was his idea to buy this Canadian newspaper? He says that he simply thought it was a good investment for Citic. Does Citic have any other newspapers? It did at the time. It did have other magazines and things like that. It's difficult to pin down exactly what Citic is, except that it is the Chinese government's investment vehicle. So it does just about everything. It's a, one of the most complicated and sprawling sovereign wealth creatures in the world. Um, and it is quite opaque as well. But what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is Li Bolun as the steward of this media effort. Is there reason to believe he was building an arsenal of propaganda organs? Or is this aberrant from the kind of business he was otherwise doing? No, well, certainly it doesn't appear typical. I've found no evidence that he owns or tried to own other media organizations here in Canada. Um, so it, it certainly does appear not typical, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I guess either way, whether this was entered into out of a legitimate business interest for Citic or not, what you were able to demonstrate is that one way or the other, he was able to shift control from his employer into his own hands. And even the transfer of money had some dodgy dealings about how the money got into the hands of the previous owner. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, for instance, some of the money was transferred not from Citic's corporate accounts, but it came via a Hong Kong metalworking factory. So it's all quite opaque exactly how this money was moved around the world to complete this transaction. Nothing is quite as it seems and nothing is very simple, is it? Because, you know, even if we talk about this newspaper before uh, the investment, it was a pro-Beijing newspaper. And in fact, there is a human rights complaint in British Columbia about the editorial practices of this newspaper. That's right. That's under the Helms, Helms womanship of Lee's widow is that there were complaints that this newspaper had fallen under Communist Party influence. Now, what we've since demonstrated here is that it went quite substantially beyond influence and that, in fact, Citic at one stage was listed as half-owner of this outfit. But yeah, there's always been these concerns, not just at global Chinese press, but in the Chinese media in general, about influence operations, about how the Chinese government tries to sway domestic Chinese diaspora opinion through various media outfits. Well, that's true. And, and we're always looking at very hard to report stories about was this person fired because they pissed off the party or they were seen to piss off the party. It's hard to actually quantify or report on whether there was like any level of Communist Party influence on Canadian editorial content. And then here's a paper owned by the Chinese government. And that's their name on the share certificate. And nobody knew? Nobody reported on this until your story came out? That can happen? A foreign government can own a Canadian newspaper and nobody knows about it? Well, exactly. It was very, very striking, you know, to see 
the Hasidic listed on that share certificate. And it just struck me that so many of these stories may never be reported because such a conflict that results in these kind of things being filed as documents in court cases may never occur. And it just struck me that how I stumbled on this was purely as a result of a beef between various individuals. It wasn't to do with this document necessarily having to be made public and being thrown up in the public eye through some sort of scandal. It's because of this private dispute between these people that goes to court. And that's how a lot of these Chinese disputes end up becoming known is through legal action. And people may or may not be used to the transparency of Canadian courts where you can just go down to the registry office and you can see all these documents laid out in front of you. And to that extent, I can understand why Citic Group is not particularly interested in weighing in on this very small uh, dollar terms case. Well, there's like funny stuff in your story about how oblivious Canada is. You know, you write about this one scene in a courtroom where the judge is like, what's Civic? He's talking about a company that's bigger than Microsoft and he mispronounces it. He thinks it's called Civic and somebody has to say, no, it's, it's, it's actually Civic. Yeah, no, it's the case in Canada that these entities that are extremely prominent, extremely influential and well-known in uh, Hong Kong or China or wherever can kind of fly under the radar here. And it's the same with personalities. To an extent, this is the business equivalent of a Canto pop star coming over here as a bolt hole, you know, to Vancouver, where you can maintain a certain level of anonymity, um, you know, and that's true not just of pop stars, that's true of, of, of business people, of tycoons, of billionaires, and of very prominent companies, even Citic. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.
So what can you tell me about his widow, who I guess now owns this Canadian newspaper? Yeah, well, Xi Hong was um, a member of the People's Liberation Army Song and Dance Troop. And what that is, it's like an all-singing, all-dancing arm of the PLA um, that Xi Jinping's wife, for instance, was a member of, you know, singing troupe. Uh, she was a TV star in her own right, an actress, uh, and she married Lee Bo Lun. Um, but then she moved out here to Vancouver on the back of Mr. Lee's immigration application as an entrepreneur, and now she's in charge of the newspaper. So, you know, she's had a very difficult time, I think, is probably the best way to put it, uh, given the tragic circumstances of her husband's husband's death. And I haven't been able to speak to her. I, I approached her lawyers to try to talk to her, but she's understandably reluctant to do that. But at the same time, she's also had to contest various court actions that have been launched by the previous owners of the newspaper who are still trying to strip her of ownership. And also, um, as you said, of those um, uh, disgruntled employees who filed human rights complaints about what was going on at Global Chinese Press. As newspaper owners go, is she the hands-on type? Well, according to the human rights complaint, yes. It said that it was the actions that resulted in the firings uh, were conducted at her behest. So uh, that's a yes. And at the same time, she's also appeared at uh, Chinese government functions just six or seven months after her husband's death, meeting the consul general out here. And, um, you know, her photograph actually appeared on the consulate's website here. So while her husband, uh, his life ended tragically and having fallen out of favor with the very highly ranked members of the government with whom he'd been previously a darling, her reputation and her connections seem to endure and be strong. Yeah, no, there is no suggestion uh, outside of these, you know, unfulfilled court cases that she's done anything wrong. She's not been charged with anything. She's not a criminal. She's not any of that stuff. She is still the subject of litigation that is, as I said, trying to strip her of ownership of global Chinese press. But to date, the Canadian courts have sided with her. They've repeatedly concluded that uh, she's the legitimate owner of, of these shares and that she legitimately controls global Chinese press. Hmm. So whether or not the purchase of this newspaper was merely a mechanism to get residency, the issue of there being a news organ in Canada that is very, very closely linked to the Chinese government endures. It might not be owned by Cidic Media, which, as you write, was dissolved after Lee Balloon's death. But his widow is a party loyalist, as her social media seems to indicate and everything else. And she's still writing this paper and she's faced human rights complaints and other types of complaints about a very heavy handed editorial influence on the paper's bent. Yeah, I mean, those human rights uh, issues were settled by the various lawyers that were involved. But yes, there are still concerns about the way that uh, global Chinese press leans and the reasons that it leans the way it does. And, you know, there, there are plenty of people here in Canada who are quite open about being pro-Beijing or even, you know, pro the Chinese government in favour of the Chinese Communist Party. And, you know, Madam C has... Um, not been particularly shy about presenting herself as someone who hobnobs with the Consul General, for instance. And I don't think I see anything in global Chinese press to challenge the notion that this is a pro-Beijing newspaper. To what extent that is actually a mechanism of control, 
I do think that is in doubt. I mean, I think it's very, very hard to prove one way or the other unless you're an actual insider to say, well, this newspaper is controlled versus it is simply pro-China, pro-Beijing rather. You know, Ian, like everything you cover, it's this incredibly dramatic and juicy stuff that always runs the risk of somebody saying to you, oh, you're just fanning the flames of anti-Chinese hatred and fear-mongering against the Chinese government. I follow you on Twitter and I see the kind of mentions you get pretty much every day. I could very easily see this story becoming highly politicized. I mean, very recently, a report by Alliance Canada Hong Kong came out. It was tabled in Parliament that claims that the government of China has set up a sophisticated network in Canada to harass people who are sympathetic to Uyghur, Tibetan, Taiwanese uh, causes, or just anti-Beijing people in general. And that does include very well-financed efforts to distort information in the media and to influence politicians. And certainly I could see the fact that there is this newspaper that was at one point owned by the Chinese government being a political hot potato, or maybe better put a political weapon in that argument. Ultimately, what do you think? Was this a case of an attempt to turn a Canadian newspaper into secretly into a propaganda rag? Or was this a case of a fraudster who was trying to jump ship and take whatever he had looted from Siddick with him to the mansion in Vancouver where his widow now lives? It could be both. You know, I mean, I'm not saying either way, but it could be both. His former deputy at Siddick Culture says this was um, initially purchased uh, at Siddick Culture's behest. Um, even Cizhou Hong's uh, lawyers have conceded that yes, this purchase was originally under the auspices of Cidic culture, but at the same time, Cidic culture doesn't want anything to do with it now. Whatever value it may have once seen in this vehicle, it certainly doesn't see it now to the extent that it doesn't appear to want anything to do with this legal action. And I think the problem is that there's always going to be an element of opacity with these kinds of transactions and these kinds of deals that involve the Chinese government and Chinese government sympathisers and Chinese government vehicles, you're never going to get the smoking gun, I think, as you called it, this sort of uh, perfect piece of proof that shows, well, here is the Chinese government trying to propagandise in Canada. I mean, as I said, the that share certificate is quite a compelling thing to look at that has Cidic Culture's name on it. But as these legal cases show... It's complicated. These things are always complicated. Was there anything in your reporting on him uh, prior to his arrest at the meth house to indicate that that was a part of his life? No. That's the thing that struck me, that it went from him being a convicted fraudster uh, who was you know, released from prison and then went on to conduct all these legal actions in Canada to bang, all of a sudden he's uh, being arrested in a meth house in Beijing. He's being charged with supposedly allowing a bunch of women on the property to take drugs, and then he is dead in very short order. Uh, you know, it was really striking to see this very dry battle over finances and control of a company and things like that come to such a dramatic climax. The circumstances there are worth at least squinting your eyes at. He was not charged with selling drugs or taking drugs. He was charged with a strange charge of allowing others to take drugs. Yeah. There's no previous indication of him being involved in drugs. I mean, as soon as you hear about a drug arrest and then you hear death, you figure that that's just a related thing. But in this case, there's no, there's really no history that you could find 
uh, of him being involved with drugs until this arrest for allowing others to take drugs. And then he's imprisoned and then he's dead in jail. Yeah. And this caught the litigants by surprise. I mean, the woman uh, from whom he bought these shares, this half of the newspaper, was corresponding back and forth with him. And all of a sudden, you know, radio silence. And what happened was that he'd been arrested and dragged off by the police. Now, it just struck me that he was this case that seems quite low stakes for the Chinese government, for CITIC. You know, it's a relatively small amount of money. But at the end of the day, there was this very, very prominent figure who wound up dead in a Chinese prison and has basically been erased from the record. It's very hard to find anything about Li Bo Lun. And this is a guy who, as I said, was grievously touted as the Rupert Murdoch and Sumner Redstone of China. Yeah, that's fascinating, too. I mean, we, we don't know any of this through any kind of documentation from China around the first thing that he was thrown in jail for, whatever type of fraud he was involved in. That's all just very hazy territory. It's the fact that he got into litigation over the sale of half of a $1.4 million Canadian newspaper that all of this came to light. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, it's very, in, in dollar terms, it's very, very low stakes. And it never ceases to amaze me, actually, the incredible figures and the incredible backstories to some of these litigations that happen in Vancouver courts. So this story, when you reported it in October, it came out on a Sunday. It did not seem to make many waves in Canadian media circles or in Canadian politics. Was there any fallout in China? I mean, this guy was a pretty big deal for a long time. Well, no, I think that's also striking is that what fallout there was, was that People's Daily, which is this huge government organ, um, deleted uh, its previous references to Li Bo Lun when we started poking around. So it's clearly a matter of some sensitivity. But Siddiq is such a behemoth in China. It's such a ginormous thing that a case like this in China is is, is so small. It might be a big deal here in Canada in terms of um, this big debate about Chinese influence and media influence. But in China, I don't think it would make waves. Hmm. It seems like his plan worked to some extent. He did get his permanent residency. He moved his wife and child here. Even after he had done time for fraud, he had perhaps a safe exit plan in Canada. Ian, was his big mistake setting foot in Beijing after all that happened? Well, I mean, I can say these things for a fact. His ownership of these shares facilitated his immigration to Canada. That's that's certain. He activated permanent residency. He did, in fact, immigrate to Canada in 2008. But at some stage thereafter, he went back to China. And very soon thereafter that, uh, that's where it all sort of all fell apart. And he was arrested, I think, in 2009. He was convicted in 2010. And then he was rearrested and reconvicted uh, a few few years later on the drug charges. I'm not sure if Lee Blowlorn ever came back to Canada, in fact, after that first visit. The time that he then spent in China was certainly under intense scrutiny. He lost all of all face. He um, lost the backing of his mentors and all of the great power that came with his connections to Siddiq. Uh, that all fell apart. But what he did manage to do was to get his wife and his son out here to Canada, where they are safe to this day. It's not like he was safe back here and then he got on a plane. He might have been there consistently throughout. Yep. Ian, thank you so much for telling me the story. No problem, Jesse. Thanks for talking to me. That is your Canada land. If you like this show, please hire us to make it for you and make it better. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. It takes just a couple of minutes and we give you ad-free podcasts and other stuff. Email me about it at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at Canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. 
Last week's episode of Commons about the Oka crisis, I thought I knew about that story. It is a fucking movie. Go listen to that episode. It's incredible. New episode of our politics show, The Backbench, comes out this week. Check that out, too. This episode is produced by Tristan Capicione. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.